Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, singing together with my church family has been my best part of this year so far. So uh, what a great way to begin our year together, praising the Lord uh, together in this place. I want to just uh, welcome you and thank you for uh, joining us this morning. And uh, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping and um, the Lord meets with us here, and as we gather here in this place, and, and uh, it is a new year, which always feels fresh, uh, new beginnings, new excitement, new things uh, happening, going on, expectations for the year ahead, and so um, I uh, am looking forward to seeing what uh, this year holds for us and what this year is going to bring. Uh, we're going to get into a new series this morning, but I want to uh, just begin by um, uh, making a couple of special announcements, letting you know some things that are kind of uh, going on. Uh, here and um, uh, the way that the Lord is working uh, in our midst. And um, so I want to uh, just uh, begin by uh, introducing to you uh, some new faces around here. If I could have uh, Lino and Cindy come on up and join me. Um, we've been talking about this for a little bit, and um, I just want to uh, you to be able to meet these guys. Uh, they've been around for a couple weeks now. And um, this is uh, Lino and Cindy uh, Rodriguez, and um, they are uh, joining us uh, most recently been at a church in Virginia, um, but originally from Mexico. They've been uh, studied in Texas and then uh, served at a church in Virginia and now are coming here. And uh, Lino is our new pastor over our Spanish ministry um, here. So, yes. We are so thrilled to have them here. We've been talking about um, and, and feel like the Lord has placed on our heart to, uh, to step into this area. It's a different language uh, than we, obviously our services are in English and, and uh, we know um, we, we worship in English, and, and do it, but there are so many people here in this neighborhood, here in this city um, that uh, uh, speak Spanish and that is their primary, if not only uh, language that they speak and there's such a need for that here. And so we feel like God has placed us here in this neighborhood we want to be um, reaching this neighborhood, and so we realized we cannot do that in English. And so uh, Pastor Lino and Cindy have come. They have two children, uh, which are down in the uh, kids' ministry, um, Pablo and Denise, um, which they are both fantastic. I don't, um, some kids are, are, are fantastic, others are, you know, Wanting, they're, they're growing towards being fantastic, right? And so your kids are fantastic. Um, I'm not going to tell you which ones. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're like, that's the only thing you're going to remember if I go down that road any further. Um, but so thankful for the way that God has led this uh, together. And the, prayer, the, the plan, the, what we're praying towards and, and hoping is that over the course of this year, it's going to take um, you know, some months of preparation and planning and, and getting things ready. But over the course of this year, at some point, we will launch a service in uh, Spanish. And uh, we'll have a fully Spanish service with worship in Spanish and uh, preaching in Spanish. Pastor Lino will be um, preaching. And um, so we're going to like lots to unpack on what that looks like and how we're doing that and ways you can get connected and involved in that, um, but we just wanted you to meet uh, these guys, and so I would have them um, share a little bit, but um, you, one thing you have to know is um, their uh, English is growing, let's use that word, they're growing, and he's working diligently on that, um, we have enough that we can communicate, and um, I do know a little bit of Spanish, and so it's been, uh, that's been fine, but his Spanish is fantastic, so that's what we, we hired him for that, okay, so so that's what, but um, we're working on the English uh, English part, and so rather than putting, you know, put him 
him on the spot and make him, he could definitely say several things and, and, uh, and it would be great, but um, we won't put him on the spot this morning uh, for that. So if you do talk to them and you know some Spanish, you can certainly practice. Um, they can teach you and, um, and, and then, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, uh, where they're at. So um, can we just welcome them and give them <laughs> appreciation? Thank you. Yeah, you guys could have a seat. Thank you so much. And while we're talking about new faces, I do want to talk about one uh, other new face that is on our team, um, uh, and super excited about this, but some of you know uh, Garrett Schroeder. Um, he is uh, uh, part of our worship team, and he's going to be our worship ministry intern for this next season ahead, and um, right now we, um, uh, we're in the process of, of searching for a full-time worship leader and, uh, and, and you know that we want to have on the team, and so um, Garrett's been a part of our worship team for uh, quite a while, and he is... Um, uh, just already he's been in the office this week and, and uh, so excited to have him on the team. So if you see him around a little bit more or you get some communication from him, I just want to let you know that he's um, working in the office and, and part of our, our staff team uh, in that capacity. So a couple of exciting things going on, new faces around and uh, yeah, excited about what this year uh, holds for us. Well, let's get into God's Word together, and uh, we're going to be beginning, um, we're kind of, as I mentioned, if you were with us uh, last couple weeks, we said that we're going to press pause on the book of John for just a few more weeks, and we are going to go through a five-week sermon series that we are calling The Pillars. And uh, we have at our church here at City on the Hill, there are some essentials, some core values, some things that we hold dear, and we call them uh, pillars. And there are five of them for us as a church. And um, I was, uh, you know, every so often we want to revisit this and, and make sure that we unpack this. And um, I was surprised to ask, I was asking some people um, uh, that have been around the church for a while, I'm like, hey, do you remember the last time? When did we talk about some of these things? And they're like, I've never heard us you know, preach on these things or talk about these things uh, from the front. And I went back and looked, and it has. It's been several years since we've done a sermon series on uh, some of our core values and, and who we are. And so we thought that the beginning of the new year and, and kind of starting off in the new year together would be a great chance to just be reminded of, of who we are. And my hope is, let me just kind of set some expectations for this series. My hope is that as we walk through these, that these will not be just things like, oh, I'm glad to know that, that the church, or I'm glad to know that city on a hill, or I'm glad to know that they um, like think this is a good thing. Uh, what I'd rather see, or my hope is, is that for you, that you, this we, each of these pillars will grow up in your own life. That in, in, the, in practice, in the way that we are living these out, it's one thing to have like, values on a wall. It's another thing to live them out in who we are. And these aren't just pillars that we have together as a church, but these are pillars for us as individuals, for our homes, for the way that we live our lives. And so what we want to do is we want to take these and look at practically how are we actually uh, living these out. And so we're going to kind of go through all these pillars together. And uh, we don't have a particular order. Um, we usually kind of present them in uh, a set order, but there's not an order of importance or order of operations in all all of this, and so the way that we're going to structure it is just um, sort of what we uh, think is going to be the best and kind of most helpful for us in that regard. And so, what I think is the thing that we should start off with this whole new year. If there's one thing that I think could uh, kickstart and jumpstart our our new year together, it would be to talk about prayer this morning. We're going to begin with the pillar of prayer, and uh, we call it the pillar that we uh, say is unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer is the, uh, the idea that we are uh, going after in our prayer. And we want to be not just a 
church that prays. We want to be a praying church. We say that around here often. And one of my uh, you know, questions that I would ask you this morning is, not out loud, but just curious, as we do begin a new year together, are there some things that you would say that you could acknowledge that you are anxious about this morning? Uh, things that maybe have kept you up this week, some things that you've been kind of turning over in your mind. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's some things going on at your place of employment, your job. Uh, maybe there's some decisions that need to be made for your future, some things that you're wrestling through or considering, some major decisions that need to be made. Maybe there's some things going on in your family, uh, some relationships that are close to you that are causing some anxiety or some concern. Maybe your schooling is uh, getting ready for, those of you that are in high school, getting ready for some finals. I know that's we got a freshman in our house, first high school finals, and so school sometimes can be a little daunting at times. There's some things that are causing you anxiousness, that are causing anxiety for you. I wanted you to think about maybe what's the thing that is the most anxious in your life right now, the thing that's causing you the most amount of concern, and how would you rank that? How anxious are you about that on a scale of 1 to 10? Again, you don't have to say it out loud, but just kind of rate and rank that in, in, in your mind. Then I want to ask you another question. How much fervent prayer, like passionate, intentional, focused prayer, is happening in your life about that specific thing? My guess is that there's a direct correlation. If you said that that thing that's causing you the most amount of anxiousness, the most amount of anxiety in your life right now is, is, is up there. It's like a seven, it's an eight, it's a, it's a 10. My guess is, is that maybe the amount of prayer that's going towards that is not also at a level of seven, eight, or 10. See, what I've found is that oftentimes when we spend time in fervent prayer that our anxiousness or worrying or the things that we are concerned with tends to uh, decrease, that we understand the, the promise that's given to us in Philippians, that we don't have to be anxious, that we can present our request to the Lord and we can trust him with it. And that's not saying that we're never going to struggle with it. That's never going to say that that's not going to come up. But when it does come up, that we have a place that we can go with that anxiousness, Right? And the, the invitation, the, the promise that's been given to us is the power and the working of prayer. And the verb, or sort of the, um, the way that we describe that, rather, the adverb is unceasing prayer. That we want to do it all the time, in every situation, with fervency, because we believe this, that, that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And so the way that we say it around here is this, that unceasing prayer, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. It's not just a ritual that we sort of go through, sort of these motions that we, we do, but this is how we would, this is kind of our long-form version of this. We believe, together as a church, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. And so if we believe firmly in the power of prayer, believing that, how many of us would say that we have no more room to grow in this area? Right? Is anyone? That's what I love about teaching on prayer because I don't know any of us that would say, "Yeah, I'm maxing it out right now." There's like no more growth for prayer. I've got all the prayer I can handle. My prayer life is exactly how I want it, and and there is nothing that could be said that would add to it. See, I have a firm belief this morning that as I walk up here, all of us could be like, "Yeah, that's something I could kind of grow in this year." 
That's something that I could spend a little bit more attention to. And even if you've got it down, how's the family doing? Or even if you've got it down, how are we doing together as a church? Because I think corporately, together as a church, we've got some ways that we can grow together. How are we praying together as a small group? How are we praying together as ministries? How are we praying together as leaders? How are we doing in our prayer? And so we want to lean into this this morning. We recognize that we have in space to increase. And what better way to begin the new year than in this way? And so what I want to do is I want to look at one of my favorite verses on prayer. Uh, I preached on this verse. Actually, um, I was going back and looking. I have preached on this verse one other time, and it was back in the spring of 2018. Um, and since almost virtually none of you were around and part of the church in 2018, um, I'm excited to talk to you about this verse again and, uh, and look at this again. It says this, Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me, and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And in this verse, what we're going to see, just kind of want to break it down, I think there's four prayer promises that we have this morning. We said this morning that we, we are believing, counting on the promises of God. We just sang that, right? God is faithful in his promises. Well, I believe that there's some promises that are given to us in this verse that apply specifically to the area of prayer. And so before we go any further, what better way to um, ask God to work, to teach us about prayer, than to just go ahead and pray uh, to him right now. And so let's pray and ask God to teach us as we look at his word together. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this year ahead. Lord, each morning is a reminder of your grace. God, each breath is a reminder that you are the one who sustains and, and fills, Lord, and is leading. God, we have breath because you made us. And so, Lord, we give you praise with that breath this morning. We, uh, God, with our minds, want to understand and know you more fully. God, we want to comprehend what it is that you have for us this morning, and we want to be changed by it. And so, God, I ask that you would lead us. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would help us to understand, and, Lord, that we would walk away confident, God, um, convinced that you hear our prayers, and, God, that you are working Lord, thank you for hearing this prayer now. We ask that you would work through our time in your word as we know that your uh, spirit is present and leading. God, we ask that that would be the case right now. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, four prayer promises that we see right here in Jeremiah 33.3. The first is this. He says, call to me and I will answer you. Here's the first promise that I think is implied in this is that the Lord is listening. The Lord is listening, right? If he's saying, hey, call to me, um, then there's this, this implication that he's going to be able to hear the things that you are saying. Let's get some of the context for what we're doing. We don't want to just rip open the word of God. It's always good to see the context of, of what it is that we're looking at. And uh, if you go back a couple of verses, you can see that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And so these are words from God to Jeremiah. And uh, the time frame, um, if we were to go back and review all of the book of Jeremiah, the time frame is uh, there is um, uh, destruction that is coming to the people of Israel. Uh, they rebelled, they sinned against God, they haven't been following his ways for some time now, and Jeremiah is actively ministering, he's a prophet, he is uh, leading God's people, trying to speak to, teach God's people in a time of difficulty, of pain, of despair. Um, he's often called the weeping prophet, I don't know that that's the best uh, name for it, but he's a persevering prophet. 
He is the one who was there in the darkest days of Israel, and he saw very little fruit of all of the prophecy that he gave, all of the sermons that he preached, all of the writing that he did. He saw very little fruit of it, or at least very little of it is recorded for us. There's only two people that seem to respond to his message in the entire book of Jeremiah. There certainly may have been more, but that's all that we are given. And so where we pick it up here in verse, um, or in chapter 33, is that this was a time of great confusion and despair for the people. They were in need of hope. They were in need of encouragement. They were in need of a reminder of God's presence, especially Jeremiah. And this is where the word of the Lord came to him. It says it came to him a second time while he was shut up in the court of the guard. And it says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. And here's the thing that we have to understand is that um, there's an invitation that is being given here. The Lord is listening. That's an invitation that he's listening to us. But, but everything about that invitation hinges on that two-letter word there um, as part of the invitation that call to me, right? He says, call to me. And I think everything hinges on that. Like, who is it that's inviting us to call to him? And, and what are his credentials for being able to respond to it? And the verse that I just read in chapter, or in verse two, rather, if you look back, it says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. In our English Bibles, the way that we designate the name of God is when the word Lord is in all caps. Maybe you know this, but that is the name of the Lord is Yahweh. It's the revealed name of the Lord. I think it's a helpful thing for us to understand. You know, sometimes I think we think about God, we think about the Lord, and we think that God is his name or Lord is his name. God's name is not God any more than your name is not man or your name is not woman or human or person. You have a name. That was given to you. It's a name that you go by. It's, it's a name, knowing someone's name, you, you understand or you know something about them. We often want to know the name. You've all encountered situations when you don't know a name that you should know, right? And it feels distant. You're like, hey, buddy, or hey, you, big guy, right? Like we try and get around it, but it feels awkward, right? You don't feel like you know someone if you don't know their name. But how many times have you forgotten, have you forgotten the name of like your brother or your sister, your closest friend, right? you, that doesn't happen because you know them, you, you understand who they are. The name of God is not God, the name of God is Yahweh. This is the name that he revealed to the people of God. And this is who he is, the Lord is the one, Yahweh is the one who is speaking. So it says that the word came, the word of the Lord came, the word of Yahweh came, thus says Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? Well, he's the one who made the earth. He's the creator God. He formed the earth. He established it. And he's revealed his self to himself to it. The word Yahweh, the name Yahweh is used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. Every time it's used, it's a reminder that God is a personal God, that he's a covenant God, that he is in relationship. And maybe you know this, but in case you've never heard it before, I mean, the, the people of God were, uh, they wouldn't like write it all out. And, and, and they actually stopped using that name because they found that it was too holy, it was too sacred. It was too special to, to use. And so they started using some of these other names, but we're reminded here that he has revealed himself, God has revealed himself, and he has shown who he is. It's the one who laid the foundation of the earth. 
How many of us could say that we've done that? Right? I don't know about you. I want to worship and serve and pray to call out to a God who is not like myself. Right? Who has a little bit more to offer than I do. I heard it recently said, as one of the early church fathers said, you know, a God who is understood is not much of a God at all. Right? Like he is so far beyond us in our comprehension and our, our ability. And this is the God, the God of covenant, the God of relationship, the God of creation, who is inviting us to call out to him. He says, call out to me. This God is inviting us to call out to him, and he says to me. And notice it's not through a mediator, right? He doesn't say, go to this person, and they will get you to me. So you don't need a mediator. You don't need a priest or a pastor. You don't need to be here in this room or at some sacred building. You don't need to be on a mountaintop or go to any place. You don't need your parent. You don't need your friend. You can call out to God directly, and you have direct access to him, and he hears you. The God of the universe hears you. See, I think we just, sometimes we, we take this for granted, right? How nice is it to have, how, how amazing is it to have direct access to the God of the universe? I don't know about you, but I love, I love it when I have direct access to the people or to the resources that I'm trying to get to. If you've ever had to call um, any sort of large business, right, and you get that number, how many times have you heard the phrase, like, due to a high volume of calls, right, we, there's now this wait time that you're going to have. It's like every time I call, there's a high volume of calls. Like at some point, it's like, no, this is a normal volume of calls, and you need to hire more people, preferably, that are like, you know, in the same hemisphere as us, and, and that could like help me with this problem that I'm having. And, and, and you've all, you're laughing because you've all experienced, right? You're like, can I just talk to somebody who can actually answer my problem? Like, and to, to, to sit on, on hold. See, I'm, I'm leery of that, that offer now that they're making. They're like, well, if, we, if you want to hold your, li- your spot in line, you know, press nine and we'll call you back. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't buy it. Like, <laughs> if I can wait them out, I'm waiting it out, right? I just pop in that earbud and I start doing other work. And I'm just kind of, I just, I'm just that, 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 that hold music. I'll just let that play, right? I'm just like, you know, and there are places that I know they're hold music, and I'm like, I hate that hold music, man. I usually fly, when I fly, I fly United. Man, United has the worst hold music. They need to update that thing. So I've heard that song. I cannot tell you how many airports I've been sitting in, stranded, waiting, trying to reschedule something or doing something, and I've heard that so many times. See, we know what it's like to be put on hold, right, to not have that direct access, my father-in-law, him, um, my, my in-laws, they own this tour company. They've done uh, travel with churches and schools to all over the place, mostly Israel, but all over the place for like 30 years now. And at some point, my father-in-law in the last couple of years achieved some sort of status with, uh, with one of the airlines that they fly with. And um, it's not even like this published status, but he is now like, I don't know, I think he has the CEO like on speed dial and he can just like call him directly. Like every time a, a flight is rescheduled or, or something happens, there's someone who personally will meet him at the gate and escort them to wherever it is they need to go or, or tell them what's happening and they'll just kind of you know, hover nearby and just kind of make sure he's okay. And, um, and he has a number that he can call and every time he calls, somebody, he doesn't get the hold music, he doesn't get the like spot in line, somebody picks it up and like, hello, Mr. Fitzsimmons, how can we help? Like, it is like right away, direct access every single time. It's amazing. Why do I share that? I say that because this is the type of access that we have directly to the God of the universe. Yeah. 
right? There is no hold music. There is no uh, call waiting or anything else. There is direct access to God. He says, call to me. And here's the thing, to take the illustration just one step further, God is always experiencing a high volume of calls, right? (laughs) But he can handle it. He can hear it. He will receive it. And so there's an invitation that's being given. And so the promise that we have in this invitation is that God is listening. When we pray, he hears our prayers. That's the first thing we have to understand because it changes everything if we know that he can hear and that he's listening to us. Let's continue on. Let's look at the second promise. It's this. The second promise that we see in here is that the Lord is able. The Lord is able. He is listening and he is able. What does it say next? It says, call to me and I will answer you. I will answer. Well, if he's going to be answering, he's, he's kind of, he's writing a check that he intends to cash. He's saying, listen, I will answer you. That means he can answer you. He has the ability to answer you. You know, the scripture tells us in Hebrews 6, 18 and Titus 1, 2, there's a truth about God that I love to know. And that's this, that God cannot lie. You ever thought about this? God cannot lie. It's not within his ability to do. He cannot break or betray his nature. And so it is not possible for him to lie. And so here in this moment, he says, call to me and I will answer. You know that God cannot lie when he is saying that? So you know, I, we're, we're able to lie, right? There are things that we can do, want to do, could do. Uh, my daughters are in gymnastics, and uh, uh, recently my daughter was doing this kind of back bend over, and she's like, Dad, can you do that? I was like, nope, I cannot do that. And some of you are like, well, with the right amount of training. No, I'm just telling you, I can't do that, okay? Like, that's not within my nature to be able to do. There's no way I'm doing this back bend over. There's no way that God in his nature is able to lie. And so when we come across a promise like this, this is a promise given to Jeremiah. I think it's a promise that's backed up time and time again throughout scripture is that I will answer you. God is not lying when he says that. He is able to work. There's assurance that he's giving us. And I think the second part of that, it's not just that he's able, but he's also willing. That's the third thing that we see in this I will answer. What does he say? He says, I will answer you. See, it's one thing that someone can. It's another thing that will they. Hey, Dad, can you get me a glass of milk? Well, yeah, I can. Will you get me a glass of milk? Well, that's another question, right? Why can't you get your own glass of milk? Why do you need me to get you a glass of milk? Right? God, can you answer me? Yes, he can. He's able. But without the second part, is he willing to answer? Yes, he is willing to answer you. I will answer you. Maybe you've heard this before, but I want to uh, help you with something. I think sometimes we think that God only answers us when he answers us in the way that we expect him to answer us or the way that we desire him to answer us, right? A lot of times when we ask a question or ask something of the Lord or come before him, uh, a lot of times it's not usually an open-ended sort of thing. We have a particular thing in mind that we are asking him to do. And when anything falls short of that, when we don't get that, then it feels like God isn't answering the prayer that we have given. But you know that we see that God answers in a variety of ways. If you really boil it down, you could look at it in sort of three ways that he does answer. Uh, The first way is that if God will answer us, he'll answer us with a yes. Sometimes some of the things we ask the Lord is just a yes, yes. I told some of you, you asked how my 
time over Christmas, we usually power down. So if you didn't hear from me or I was a little hard to get, that's intentional. We kind of power down after Christmas and spend time with the kids. Well, we, um, you know, we have uh, what we affectionately call around our house a yes day. And so the kids will ask us something and it's like, hey, dad, can we eat chocolate? And it's like 9 a.m. in the morning. It's like, yes. You know, can we, hey, dad, you want to play a game with me? Yes, yes, I do. It's like, everything's a Yes as much as we can, <laughs> within reason. They put it to a test, and then they find out that it's not a yes day. It's a mostly yes day. But James 2.2 says this, you do not have because you do not ask. There are things that you can ask God that he will usually, or even sometimes I would go as far to say as always, give you a yes. What are those things? Well, those are things that he has promised and said and given to us in his word, right? And so some of you, you need, prayer, you need strength, when you pray and ask the Lord to strengthen you, I think that's a yes prayer. I think God will give you the strength that you need. When you pray and ask God for wisdom, God, give me your wisdom, give me your understanding, I think that's a yes prayer. I think that's something that God will say yes to. Yes, I will give you the wisdom that you need or maybe the way to access the wisdom that you need. Right? God, give me patience. That's a scary prayer to pray. God, give me patience. He will do those things. Give me peace. He's able to give you peace. See, there are certain things that he wants to give you. Our kids know and understand that there are snacks that they can ask for. And I, I, I can't remember if I've shared this before, but my son understands the difference. He's like, is this a healthy snack or an unhealthy snack? And he knows that if he asks for a healthy snack, the boy loves celery. I don't know why, but he loves it. If he asks for celery, like, there's a very, like, very little chance that he's not going to get a yes to that question. Hey, Dad, can I have some celery? Sure. <laughs> if we've got it, you can have it, right? Every time. See, th sometimes I think we think that God has all these resources, all these things that he's just kind of holding on to and just like, you know, sort of stingy about giving out. No, there are things that we can ask the Lord for, and he's going to give it to us when we ask. See, often, I've heard it said this way, often prayer is more of a process by which God is preparing us to receive that which he is already willing to do. Do you know that? Like prayer is just the process that he's preparing you. He wants to do it. He's willing to do it, but he wants you to pray and ask so that he can prepare your heart to receive it. And so there are things that he's going to answer and give that yes to. Other times, he's going to say no. Why does he say no? Well, the reality is that we ask for foolish things. Sometimes we ask for something and he's just like, no, you don't want that. Or no, that's not what's best. Or no, that is not what you need right now. James 2.3 says, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, sometimes in our foolishness, in our short-sighted, in our limited view, some of the things that we ask the Lord for are a no. And can we just be honest about something? Sometimes the things that God says no to are some of the difficult things that we don't always understand. Right? How many times have we prayed for God to heal when he hasn't? How many times have we prayed for God to soften a heart or to change a situation or to show himself powerful and working in a particular way that he's said no to? Every time God says no, I think what he's saying to us is that I have a better way. I have a more perfect plan. I have something else in mind. That's easy to say in kind of thought, but in practice, do we believe it? Do we believe that when God says no, that there is a better yes that is there? So I think sometimes we just don't understand. 
And so in our, again, limited understanding, at times in our foolishness, we ask for things that the Lord in his love and in his divine wisdom, his perfect understanding says no to. And then the third answer that we get when he says, I will answer you, he sometimes says yes, sometimes says no, and, and oftentimes he says wait. And this is hard sometimes, right? It's not a yes, it's not a no, it's just not right now. You need to wait. Years ago, it's been like three or four years now, I mean, we've been talking about this Spanish ministry for some time. And I can tell you the number of prayers or the number of paths that we've pursued as a church, the number of kind of roads that we've gone on or attempts that we've made. And I feel like, you know, for years, God has been saying to us, hey, wait, wait, wait. I gotta believe it's because he has a better plan in mind or there's the, this, his timing has not yet kind of been here. And so we're just trusting the Lord that now, again, so encouraged to have Lino, to have Cindy here and, and part of the team and what God's going to do. It's, it feels like now it's a yes. It's been wait, 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 now it's a yes. And we're gonna see what God's going to do in these years ahead. Sometimes it is hard to get that wait, but sometimes after the waiting is over, we see why God said, wait. Can I just encourage you, if you're in the middle of a wait from God right now, that you would remember back to the times when you did wait on the Lord and he proved himself to be faithful and his timing proved to be perfect. Can you use that to inform the way that you're waiting on the Lord now? That you can trust that his timing is still perfect and that his ways are still perfect. Because I know some of you are waiting and you're praying for good things. You're praying for godly things. You're praying for things that you would expect a yes from. But again, in his divine wisdom, it's a not yet. Can I just encourage you to hold on? See, I think sometimes when we get that wait, or sometimes when we get that no, our response is, well, then the Lord's not answering me. But those, let's go back to the text again. Look at what it says. It says, call to me, and I will answer you. The Lord is listening. The Lord is able, and the Lord is willing to respond. There are three promises right there in the things that he's saying. But notice this, the fourth promise comes in, in what comes next. He says, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Here's the fourth promise I believe that we see right here is that the Lord is working. The Lord is working. He was not distant. Even though they were discouraged, they were in despair, that the Lord was still at work. Jeremiah and the people of Israel, they needed to know that God was still present. And so what does he say here? He says he's gonna tell them of some hidden things, some things that they don't know, some things that they don't understand. What they needed in this moment was some knowledge that they were gonna be okay, that God was going to work through this. They needed hope. And what does he tell them? What is this great and hidden things that he tells them? Well, he tells them of the salvation yet to come. If you scan your eyes, hopefully your Bibles are open. If you scan them down to verse six, it says this, behold, I will bring it, health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah, the fortunes of Israel, and I will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from the guilt of their sins against me. I will forgive them all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city where he's writing from is Jerusalem. This city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, a glory before all the nations of the earth. Who shall hear of all the good that I do for them? They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. What is God saying? He's, going, he's saying he's going to restore the nation of Israel to its land, to its city, back to a relationship 
But how's he going to do that? Ultimately, that comes through the Savior, through the person of Jesus Christ. He's foretelling not just of the salvation of the people of Israel, but he's telling of the salvation of the world, right? Through Jerusalem and through the work that happens there, through Jesus Christ, the world is going to see the goodness and the praise and the glory and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And so there's this knowledge that they needed there. And sometimes, sometimes God speaks to us. He, he leads us through prayer. That's what he's promising here. Let me just be clear about this, because I know we can get a little sort of, what are we saying now? What's, what's, what's that mean, right? Well, what God's saying is never going to be contrary to Scripture, and it's not greater than Scripture. But there are some things that you need, some, some encouragement that you maybe need. And again, it's not contrary, not greater, it's not different from but God can reveal some things to us. He can teach us some things. He can show us some things. He can respond to us. He can work in some ways through prayer that doesn't just come from reading his word and kind of meditating upon it. It's through prayer. You see, God contains the knowledge or the knowledge beyond what we could ever comprehend. I was trying to think of like, how do we contain or understand knowledge? The Library of Congress is the largest library in the world. It started in 1802 with 243 volumes. Today, the Library of Congress contains 51 million books in five, housed in five different facilities. In total, it doesn't just have books, it has assets. It has 162 million assets in more than 450 different languages, and it's growing all the time. Apparently, the Library of Congress houses all of um, the tweets from Twitter. I don't know why. There's not much that's of value there, but that's, that's one of the things that's there. right? But you think about all of the books and the films and the videos and the recordings and the photographs and the newspaper and the maps and the manuscripts and all that the knowledge has therein, and you know that it doesn't even contain all of the knowledge that God has. You see, God has all knowledge in himself, available to him, access in that. And so when we're praying to him, he sees and understands it all. He says he's going to tell them of hidden and unknown things, right? Great things that you have not known. Well, the bigger secret that God was going to do, the biggest secret that God was keeping at this point was that he was going to ultimately conquer sin and death through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 16 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings that has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Why do I bring this up, or why is this so important for us to understand? Listen, if God was not explicit, if the Lord was not explicit in the way that he was going to bring about salvation for mankind until the proper time, how are we to expect that God is going to be explicit with our individual situation at all times and making known to us the very individual things that we would need at any given moment? See, his knowledge is vast, but his timing is perfect, and he's revealing to us the things that we need and understand at the time when we most need it. See, the reality is this. It says, call to me, I will answer you, and I will tell you of great and hidden things that you have not known. He's giving to the people what they needed at the time. He's telling them, showing them exactly what it is that they need. So can I just encourage you with that, that God is working. The things that you are seeking the Lord for, he is able, he's listening, 
He's willing to work in that. And he works through the prayers of his people. And so with the last few minutes that we have, I just want to just kind of ask the question, okay, practically, if we understand this about prayer, then how do we do it? Why am I not praying more if this is, if this is in fact the truth that we hang on to or the things that we believe? Well, I think, first of all, there's some obstacles to prayer. There's, a, there's some things that maybe keep us from, from being able to pray according to God's will and, 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 and praying uh, in the way that he would receive, in the way that he would hear. And one of the obstacles to that, I believe, is anger. James 1, 19, we'll put it on the screen. It says, knowing this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's a patience and an understanding that comes. And so sometimes in our anger and our frustration toward the Lord, and a time towards others that it can be a hindrance or an obstacle to our prayer. The second obstacle I think that we see is, is fear. Fear can keep us from praying to the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and then also 13 and 14, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that you are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The reminder that God did not give us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but he's given us a spirit of boldness and of confidence in him and his working and his power and his ability. And then lastly, doubt. Doubt can be a real obstacle. We question the reality of God. We question the goodness of God. We question the presence of God, the power of God. Is he good? Does he hear me? Is he real? Is he working? Does he know what's best? James 1 reminds us of this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. See, that's a yes prayer. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the per that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This might sound a little circular, but can I just tell you, how do we overcome some of these obstacles, this fear, this doubt, this anger? How do we overcome these obstacles? It's by beginning to pray. Prayer is one of the things that melts away those obstacles. And so you're like, well, I, I, how, do I, how do I pray if I can't get, well, then just begin to pray. Even just a little prayer. God, help me with this. Lord, I see this. I need you here. Some of the shortest, quickest, simplest calls that we see in scripture were answered in such magnificent, incredible ways by the Lord. Right? How many times the disciples just utter some of the most foolish nonsense and yet God was so gracious, Jesus was so gracious to, to work and to move through them. This morning, I would just encourage you, if you feel like you are being blocked, not able to, sort of stumbling in your prayer, that you would just begin to pray. And the more that you pray, the more that you'll see that prayer works, the more that you'll see that you want to pray, and the more that we can do that. And so how do we move toward becoming a praying church? How do we move individually and corporately together as a church? How do we become this praying church? Well, first, I just want to remind you and tell you that this church has been built on the prayers of his people. I believe that prayer proves our dependence on God. 
When we pray, we are showing that we are dependent on God. Our lack of prayer proves the opposite. That's one of the most convicting things I've ever read, right? Our lack of prayer shows our lack of dependence on God. The prayerlessness in your life says, I've got this. I don't need you. We can do this on our own. The little that we pray together as a church says we are okay. We don't need all that God has available to him. And let's just remind ourselves, again, the invitation is there. Call to me. Who are we calling to? The God of the universe, the creator God. He's listening. He's able. He's willing. He's working. And we're like, nah, I'm good. I got this. Can I just, like, the simplest kind of thing, just to remind you that it is so available to you to be able to pray and call out to the Lord. Do we believe that we can be a church going after all the things that God has called us to and do that without prayer? I hope not. I hope that would never be the case. That we would always recognize our need, full dependence on prayer. And so how do we pray? How do we go out to him? Can I just encourage you to do so fervently? I think that's what's being, you know, that word call out, communicate something. It's not kind of murmured, whispered, sort of under the breath, kind of weak prayers. It's a calling out. We see this plenty of other places. I just want to show you Isaiah 49. It says, lift up your voice with strength. Psalm 116.1 says, he has, uh, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. His pleas for mercy. Right? Romans 8.15 says, we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus gave us an example as he was in agony and before the cross and in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And Colossians 4.12 describes prayer as a struggle, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. See, the picture that we get, and there's plenty more places we can go to, is not weak, whispered prayers, but fervent, bold, confident prayers before the Lord. And so individually, can I just encourage you to, to pray out loud? Use your voice, not just in your mind, but use your voice. If it's helpful, get on your knees. Have some order to it, like keep a list, or what are the things that you're going to try and pray, but pray fervently to the Lord. I've said it before, you can use Scripture to pray. Scripture is one of the great things to inform our prayers. And um, I don't have a slide for this. We can kind of get some. Some of this is on our website too. We'll send out some helpful links and some resources for us this week. But, but when we pray Scripture, we can pray with reverence, understanding who God is, response. What, how, how is this affecting us? What are the requests out of this? And then where are we going from here? We call that readiness. And so an example, just using this, this prayer that we've just said here, call to me and I will answer you. God, thank you that you are willing to hear our prayers. God, you are powerful. You are mighty, right? That's reverence. Well, then what's my response? God, who am I, right? Who am I that you would hear my prayers? Why, why would you receive my prayers? What have I done for that? God, forgive me for the times that I have not held on to that or have treasured that for the, the value that it is. Right, Lord, I need you. And then the requests, Lord, will you work in this way? Will you do these things? God, you said you'd answer me. I need you to tell me right now what this is. God, you need to work. This is what it looks like. We can pray in these ways. Well, I don't know where I got carried away. I'm looking at the time now, and my time was wrong on my uh, clock up here. I looked at the time back there, and that one's right. And for some reason, it just wasn't computing that I was in that spot. 
because we're going to end our service with communion, and I don't want to skip that, and I don't want to stop talking about this that we have. Let me just close with this, and then we do want to move into a time of communion to end our, our time together. But it's this, coming up next week, we do have a prayer night. We're going to gather together as a church and pray. I would encourage you, many of you as can be there to be there. I'm not going to interpret your absence there as your lack of caring for prayer or your lack of understanding of prayer. But I would encourage you to kind of ask that question. When there are prayer nights, when there are opportunities to pray together as a church, what does your attendance or non-attendance say to that? We don't do them very often. We try and have them intentionally. And so, again, I want to put the challenge out. Church, we need to rally when we gather in this way. Again, many of you may not be able to be there. That's okay. But when we gather, can we do that? As small group, can you help be a catalyst to make sure that your group is spending adequate time in prayer? As a leader, I'm guilty of it too. We get to that end and we're like, oh man, we're, we don't have a whole lot of time for prayer. Why don't we pray? Let's stop doing that. Can we, can, we, can we front load that? Can we put more emphasis on that? Can we do some of those things? We've got some plans in place. In the next couple of weeks, you're gonna be seeing more of our prayer team. After the service, we're gonna be having a prayer team available for prayer. But you know what? We don't need a prayer team to pray. One of the things that's always been indicative of our church or one of the things that's always been happening here at our church is that we pray for one another. Don't tell someone you're gonna pray with them. Pray with them. And so at our gatherings, whether it's a worship service or an event or something like that, as you're talking with someone and they express something to you that you could pray for, hey, can I pray for that right now? Nothing is better than when we see and look across the room and there are people praying for each other after our service. You could do that even today, that we could pray for one another. Again, I don't know, I apologize. I don't know how I got so far off time, but we want to conclude our service with some communion. So I'm gonna invite the team up and we wanna respond with the Lord's Supper. We don't wanna rush out of here. And so I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up and as they come up, we're gonna prepare our hearts to receive communion. Our team's gonna come up. They're gonna hand out the elements we're gonna take it together. And this is a reminder that the access that we have to God in prayer, the access that we have has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. This is a reminder for us that our access, that we don't walk in there because of ourselves. This invitation that was given was not because of who we are or how worthy we are, but because of the work of God. And so let's give thanks to him now. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this encouragement, this promise, Lord, that you've given to us. God, I pray that you would remind us and increase our excitement, our understanding around prayer. Lord, the ability to talk to you, the, the creator, the work, the, God, the, uh, the maker of the universe. Lord, that you would receive and hear and respond to our prayers. God, even now, you hear this prayer of mine. God, you hear the prayers of your people. Lord, we're calling out to you. We're asking that you would work. Lord, remind us, bring to our mind, Lord, the way that you are at work. Help us to see that. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.